And I've taught here for years, to be honest with you. I really have. It's been a, a very familiar scripture for me through the years. I said chapter 8, I meant chapter... Where's that at? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Chapter 8. What is man? I, it threw me off because I was in the Young's uh, literal translation and I was looking there and I was going, well, that doesn't look right. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than God. This translation says God into the angels. This is American standard. reason it says that is if you look up the word in Psalms 8.5, if you actually take the time and look it up, you'll find that the word here is the word Elohim. It's the same word that in the beginning Elohim made the heaven and earth. So, so the American Standard translated this, that man was made lower than God. I know the King James says lower than the angels and has crowned him with glory and honor. And, I, and the Lord was just ministering this in me, even in the natural man. And just some thoughts. I'm going to share some thoughts, and then we're going to move on into what I have to say this morning. But what he was sharing with me, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. We know the story. And he made man. And his image and likeness. And the Lord just kind of dealt with me that, that man was made in his image and his likeness. If you want to know what man was made like, search out God's image and likeness. Sometimes we, we try to figure this out because we have the natural man, the body, our flesh. And then we have the inside of man, the hidden part. So in man... You have parts. You do. In man. So there are parts of man, the mind of man. You don't see someone's mind. And this, this has come at me many, many times. I don't know your mind. I don't know your thought. I don't. I don't know what's there. Unless the Lord was to show me, Kathy, I don't know what you're thinking. So that is hidden. It's a hidden part that affects your whole being. Your mind affects you. Your heart, the Lord was dealing with me in the natural heart, the brain, and in areas that, that I don't know if God's ever really dealt with me, but I, but I felt like He was telling me that the natural is a reflection of what's inside a man. Just like man has a brain, he has a mind. Just like he has a natural heart, he has a heart that's his center and core, and everything goes through. And I, and I really felt like that was what He was saying to me. Now, now I've got a lot of searching to search out. But He dealt with me for a long time in regard to this. I just sat and God was just speaking in me. And just Scripture was just rolling. 
scripture upon scripture upon scripture was rolling at me. And he was after, what's he after? To unfold. God wants to unfold His Word, His purpose, His thought, His mind. God never brought you into Christianity not to know anything. He never brought you into Christ to be ignorant. He really didn't. You have a mind in order. You have the mind of Christ, Paul writes, that He might instruct you. And what He's going to instruct you with is His wisdom. See, we're, we're all the time, you know, I, I, I'll just use myself, and I said where, I used myself in my early days. I was all the time after God to speak with me about natural things. God, tell me where to go. And He's done that before. But I was after Him to tell me, God, where do I need to be at physically, naturally? What do I need to say? And He can do that. But He wants to speak to you in His things. See, see that's, that's what we don't sometimes get a hold of, is God wants to speak to you in the spiritual in the things pertaining to God. We want Him just to speak to us in the natural. How do I pay my bill? How do I get a better car? How do I get this or how do I do that? He wants to bring our mind out of that place and into a whole nother place that He can instruct you in His way. In His fault. And when you allow Him to do that, I'm going to guarantee you, it's going to be the most glorious thing. Precious. Because all at once you're going to be taught by the living God. It's not just going to be a word on the page that my sheep hear my voice. You're not just going to read it on the page that my sheep hear my voice. You're going to walk in the hearing of His voice. Jesus didn't say that for a bunch of people to quote it out of John and say, in the book of John it says, He said that that it would be active in the earth. That a people in the earth would hear the voice of God, the voice of the Son of God, and another they would not follow. That's why He said it. Not just that I could say, well, this is John chapter such and such. And I know it's written in John, and it's important to understand it's written in John. But He said it in order to put it forth in the earth that a people were going to hear the voice of God. They were going to hear what He has to say. That's why it was there. That's why He said it. Everything He said had substance in regards to you and me. 
can't say anything without substance. So, so as I approach the Lord, let Him approach Him. Father, clear my mind of the earth. We give our minds to the earth all the time. We're bound to the earth of what God will do in the earth. But God wants to bring our minds into the heaven. He wants to move you out of a realm, if you can hear it, and into another place. That's what salvation really is. That's what He come down to do. Is to translate you, Paul writes, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. To move, that's, that's two different places. You're still physically in the same body you were in. But you've been moved from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of His dear Son. That's His mind. And in His mind, He wants you to know that. There's such a powerful move of the Spirit of God in me right now. In fact, in the song service, I, I, I was at one point I was just amazed at how forceful the Spirit of the Lord was being in me. And the force of God, the Holy Spirit, the force of God, the power of God. Power has force. Water has force. If you take natural water, it's filled with force. God's Spirit is, is called water. In fact, in one place, river of water. A river has force. And it moves. And it moves what's there. It, in fact, if you throw a rock in the water, it will move and transform and smooth the rock because of the force that's coming. So we're in a river of force. God has force. And his force is toward an intention. Everything he does has an intention. Everything he said in your Bible was toward intention and purpose. Oh, yes, Lord. And that's what Christians have to see. He didn't just talk. To say words. I, I was thinking, I was 
I know where it says in Rite Aid in Elkton. And I was going into the store. And it just caught me. Some some woman was talking to some other woman and her husband, her boyfriend, whatever. I'm assuming her husband. And it just stuck in my mind. What she said had no value, no substance at all. It had no purpose. And I thought, that's really where man's at. You know, you, you pull up beside somebody, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, I like some music, so I'm not totally against music, but you pull up beside somebody and they got their speakers blaring, and they're listening to voices, to words, and it has no purpose. It's not filled with any purpose at all. And, and much of our mind, much of our thought, even as believers, are set in things with no purpose. But God has purpose. So when God came to Abraham, and that we get to where I'm going, God came to Abraham, Genesis 22. And we've been here for a couple of times. He came to Abraham according to purpose. So when you read Genesis 22, ask God, what is your purpose, Lord? What is your purpose? Genesis 22, 1 says, And it came to pass after these things that God did prove Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, even Isaac, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Even the mountain Abraham was going to go to, was going to be told him of God. So he just wasn't going to any mountain. He was going to a mountain of purpose. So the mountain, Mount Moriah, was a mountain of purpose. And the word Moriah, I said this a few weeks ago, means seen of Jaw, J-A-H which is the short form of Jehovah. So the mount was what God was seeing. And, and you know, later in this chapter, Abraham calls him Jehovah Jireh. And the King James says in the mount, it shall be seen. The actual definition of that is, is in the mount it shall be provided. And I think you can put them both together. Because what is provided was what was seen of God. So when God is speaking here to Abraham to take his son, his only son, he's speaking toward his purpose. So he's speaking out of the purpose of God in Christ. So his only son... And the fact that it's His only Son has so much purpose. 
Because if you, if you read the story of Abraham and you go back with Abraham, you'll find that Abraham had two sons. He had another son named Ishmael, a son of the bondwoman that Sarah, his wife, had told him Abraham. And, and all this resulted because Abraham had heard God. You know that? Ishmael never resulted just because Abraham didn't have a child. You ever think of this? Abraham heard God. If you go backwards in the story of Abraham, and maybe it'd be worthwhile to go back and read all that story. Because every bit of it's full of purpose. So God appears to Abraham and He tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to bless you with a seed, with a son, an heir. And your seed, your son, is going to inherit this land. All the land of Canaan, I'm going to give to your seed. So Abraham starts on a journey. And from the time he had heard God, he began to say, I'm going to get a son. I'm going to get a seed. We didn't see it happen. Did he? So when he didn't see it happen fast, what did he do? He first, before he ever went into Sarah's handmaid, or servant, or slave, the first thing he did is he said, This one Eliezer shall be my heir. You know, in other words, I know I heard God, but this is what it means. And I feel a lot of times that's just like the church. They've heard God, but God hasn't revealed to them what He's saying. So, so they, out of our own mind, we try to produce what God said. So, so God sets before him Eliezer, not God, Abraham sets before him Eliezer, and the Lord comes back and He brings back into view the same thing. No, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And then the sun doesn't happen. Time's going off. Years. And Sarah says, Hey, Abraham, here's my handmaid. Maybe you can get your heir through her. So he goes into her and has a son. Abraham probably lives in a, in a period of time and said, this is the heir. He actually does that to God. He says, when the Lord comes back to him and tells him, Abraham, at the set time Sarah's going to have a son, what does Abraham say? Let Ishmael live before you. He's my heir. And God says, no, not even close. It's not going to be Abraham. This isn't your heir. And I believe that in those two scenarios of Eliezer, I believe his name is Eliezer, you can check the name, but in those two ones, Eliezer, one in his group, one in his company, and Ishmael, that it represents the mind of man and the works of man. 
that Abraham conceived it in his own mind. Now, he had heard God. He had heard God. He started off hearing God. He had left his country. So Abraham wasn't this vile man. You have to put Abraham into context. He had heard God, and God had told him, Abraham, get up and leave your country. And what did he do? He left. So he had heard God, and he had acted on what God said, but he wasn't understanding what God said. The picture wasn't clear. And I feel like that's where the church is at. It's not a clear picture. Because what is seen of Jah has to be revealed in you. So what was seen of Jah or Jehovah was take your son, your promised son, and offer him. And if you can't see what that is saying, then you're not seeing at all. Because He's speaking of Jesus Christ the Lord. This whole thing is Christ. He's declaring Him. From the time that, that God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you a seed, He's speaking of Christ. That Christ is coming through your loins, Abraham. The promised seed. So when Isaac comes forth, he comes forth when Sarah is how old? Ninety years old? And Abraham's what, a hundred? What that represents is it wasn't the work of man. In the set time, you know, that whole picture of Sarah was the, was the very picture of the Lord Jesus Christ being born of a virgin. Even though Sarah wasn't a virgin, it's the picture of that, that man could not produce Isaac. That at the set time, God was going to come to Sarah and she was going to conceive. And that seed that was in her was going to be the promised seed. The Holy One, so to speak. The one Abraham had desired. And then that one comes forth. And God's, and God's intention for that seed. So the whole thing has to play out. His intention for that seed is now take that seed and offer it. For a burnt offering to me. Of course, we go up and we see the ram caught in the thicket, but this morning we're going to concentrate on the seed. Because the seed, the offering of Isaac was speaking of the death, burial, and resurrection. The book of Hebrews even tells you that. That Abraham believed that if he offered him up, God would raise him from the dead. So, so Abraham is going to... Mount Moriah to the place seen of God to offer his son because Abraham has believed that even Isaac, if he killed Isaac, he's going to be raised up from the dead. And that's the whole basic of, basis of Isaac. 
And I mean, there's so much more in this story. But, you know, God shall provide Himself a sacrifice. God Himself will be provided as a sacrifice, a ram caught in a thicket. And that whole story of thine only, but I want you to see thine only son, because what did Abraham do? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free. Amen. Cast it out. Amen. Could you imagine God coming to you and telling you, cast out your own son? A lot of people say, well, God would never say that. They don't know God. Because God had a purpose in what He said. Because that purpose was according to the Son of Spirit. See, we get so caught up in the sons of flesh that we want to believe that God's purpose are sons of flesh. That his purpose in man was just a bunch of flesh men. I got news for you. That ain't his purpose. That wasn't his purpose from the beginning. So when he begins to deal with Abraham, he's dealing with him after purpose. Thine only son. And where else do you get thine only son? Flip over to John 1.14. We'll get there, brother. We're going there. But start at John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I want to stop you here. I believe it's in the book of Luke. It may be Matthew. Uh, Brother Bob Macon tell us. In one of those books, it calls Adam the Son of God. Yes. Here, Jesus is called the only begotten. That means soul, one and only. So when... Jesus showed up on the scene and is called the only begotten. He's the only one. The bondwoman and her son, so to speak, had been cast out. Amen. So here's the only one. Now, consider this with me this morning. Because we get wrapped up with Jesus being just like us. And I'm going to ask you, was He ever just like us? I'm going to tell you, He never was. He was never his he was never fathered of man. He was never fathered of man. Hear that. How was he conceived? The Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary, and she conceived. So that that was born in her shall be called the Son of God. Because man did not produce Jesus. Amen. Man had nothing to do with it. That's what Isaac represented. That, that man had nothing to do with Isaac. God did. God birthed him in man. 
Why did God birth him in man? He birthed him in Mary, so so he was born in man. But he was never like man. If he had been like man, like the first man, he would have probably fallen. So Philippians 2 says, He was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be made equal with God, made Himself in no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant. But it, but it just come to my mind, even as a child, I think, I think when He was 10 years old, He told His mother He must be about His Father's business. So even as a child, He was aware of His purpose. That He came for a purpose. Even as a child, but he wasn't revealed until he became a man, before till he became a son, a full-grown son. So he was revealed at the appointed time of the Father, and a lot of that probably had to do with the Jewish law and Jewish customs and so forth. When he was revealed, so he came out of God. He was born of God. And John says he was the Word of God made flesh. That's what John says he was. So John understood him to be the Word of God made flesh. So then if I back up on the Word of God, John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And I can debate John all I want to debate John, but John probably has some understanding. Because he was writing this of the Holy Spirit, not of man. So the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we get caught up in doctrines of oneness and doctrines of Trinity. When we, when we start down this road, we get caught up. But if you don't get a hold of the one son, what we're going to declare in the one son, it's going to affect your comprehension of salvation. Yeah. Yeah. So get rid of doctrines for a moment with me. Just a moment. Pick them back up later, but for a moment. So we have a son born of God, and he's born for purpose. To die the death of the cross. So He's come for purpose and also to declare the Word of God. So not just to die, but in His coming as a man, He's declaring God's Word. If you read through the book of John, He'll tell you that. The words I speak are not mine. He came to set forth these words to put them in force. Like I told you earlier, what Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice, but came, came to be a voice. They were not just idle chatter. He wasn't just having a conversation. He said, my Father worketh and I work. So, my, so His words were His Father's words. 
I do always that that I see of my Father do. I do always that that pleases my Father. My Father in me, He says, doeth the work. So He was telling them, it's not this outer shell that's doing it. It's the God that's inside of this shell that's doing this work. So He come in the form of a man, made in the likeness of man, to die the death of the cross. And because if He didn't die the death of the cross, you couldn't get out of where you were. You had no way out. There's a movie out there, No Way Out. That's what the whole human race was in, was no way out. All their works, all that they tried to do, all their labors, everything was bound up in themselves and they had no way out. None. And it, and it goes back to what God said in Exodus, in Exodus 3, and He says it again in chapter 6. He says, I have come down, in Exodus, I believe it's 6, He says, I have come down to bring them out and into the land of promise. So if God didn't come down, Israel couldn't come out of Egypt. They were stuck. They were bound to Egyptian labor. And that was a picture of Jesus Christ. He come down to bring us out of Adam and into Christ. And here's the one of the major problems in the church. Christians Believe Jesus saved me from my sins. And that's true. But they don't comprehend that He didn't leave you the same. They believe, many Christians believe, I've now been set free, or I now don't have sin. But I'm still the same on me. Just without sin. That's what many believers believe. It's still me like I was without sin. That would be like God taking Israel out of Egypt and just leaving them where you're out of Egypt. He didn't take them out of Egypt and say, well, I just took you out of Egypt. Now you don't have Egypt anymore. You don't have the taskmaster on your back. I've ridded you of Egypt, but now you're just you. i got I got news for you. If you're just you, you're going to fall right back into Egypt. You're going to go back to where you were. Back into Egypt. So it's not just you. That's not the truth. That's a lie. It's pretty bold. I didn't probably didn't mean for that to jump out of my mouth, but it jumped out. It's a lie. Because it leaves just you. Salvation doesn't leave just you. It doesn't. 
See, when Jesus comes to Nicodemus, and here we'll read the only begotten again, and then we'll move on into this. Jesus comes to Nicodemus, and you, you've read the story where Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And sometimes we may not catch that, sometimes we might, but Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he's a, a teacher of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. He's a, he's, he's a, a, you could call him a Bible scholar. A scholar of the Old Testament. He knows the Scripture. He's a Pharisee. And he comes, now there's a man of the Pharisees. What was he called? See, a lot of people read this story, but they may miss this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. John 3, 1. The same came unto him by night. So he came by night because he didn't want the Jews to know he was going to Jesus. You know that? He didn't want them to see him there. So he comes there by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that thou doest except God be with him. So we know you're of God. He didn't just say, I know you're of God. He said, we know you're of God. So we know you're a teacher of God. Jesus answered said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except one be born anew. King James says again, Anew. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except one be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born anew. The wind blows where it will, and thou hearest the voice thereof, but knowest not whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, and so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Was he asking? How in the world can this happen? You ever ask that? It's all right, I have. That's good, Kathy, if you're asking that because he'll tell you how. That's what you should do. You should be like Nicodemus. Lord, how can this be? Jesus answered him. See, Jesus got an answer. All right, thou, the teacher of Israel, and understand not these things. Hey, Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we know and we bear witness of that which we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Let me just stop here and then we're going to read on down. I'm going to tell you heavenly things, Nicodemus. In other words, the new birth is heavenly. The new birth is not earthly, it's out of heaven. How can it be if I tell you earthly things, Nicodemus, and you don't understand earthly things, you're not going to understand heavenly things. So, so heavenly things is that of the Spirit. So when we start talking about what's of heaven, that of the Spirit is of heaven. It's that simple. So he's telling him heavenly things, and no one ever ascended into heaven, but he that descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. Why was he in heaven? Because his Father was God. He was born of God, and God was in him, so he was in the heavens. 
what he said, God is in him. And he goes on and says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now remember what Nicodemus had asked when, he, when he, Jesus said this. How can this be? If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is still telling Nicodemus how this will be. And He says, And if Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth may in Him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So here, here's the purpose. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So why did He have to take on Him the form of a servant? Because He had to bring the body of death to death. He had to release you from the hole of sin. Because you were held in sin. And if you don't understand this, you don't understand your salvation. You don't even understand what it means you receive Jesus. And, and unfortunately, many of us, what all we understand is He forgave my sins. He did a whole lot more than forgive your sins. He did forgive your sins. But He did a whole lot more than just forgave your sins. He never left you the same. And I want to walk you through it. It's going to take me a few minutes. I want to walk you through this. So, how He did it was the cross. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to Me. That the Son of Man has to be lifted up, that they that believe on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now turn over to 1 Peter 3. It says... 1 Peter 3, 17 says, For it is better if the will of God should so will that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So it's better to suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Who suffered for well-doing? Jesus did. No one suffered for greater well-doing than Him. Because Christ also suffered for sins once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us where, where was His intent to bring you? To God. Told you He didn't leave you the same. He brought you to God. Being put to death in the flesh. How did He do it? He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So He's put to death in the flesh. Made alive in the Spirit. Now go to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2 says, 1 Peter 2, verse 21. 
For hereunto were you called. Where were you called? People don't know where they're called. Well, Peter told you. So open your eyes. Hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for you. You were called to the cross, called to the fellowship of His Son, leaving you an example that you should follow His steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, reviled not again, when He suffered, threatened not, but committed Himself to Him that judgeth righteously, who, who His own self bare our sins in His body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sin. Say that. We have died unto sins. Who died unto sins? Was it just Jesus that died to sins? No. We having died unto sin. See, when you receive Him, you receive His death. We died to sins and might live unto righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. This is what we don't understand. When we receive Jesus, we receive what He did. We don't just receive that He forgave my sins. We receive His death. Because His death is what releases me from the hold of death. I can't get released from the hold of it until I receive Him. There's no way out but Him. So when He died, Paul wrote, all were made dead. Romans 6. Romans 6. Verse 1. What then? All right. What then? Shall we say, we? Who's we? We. Say we, we. He's talking to the Romans there, but the we's here. We's. What then shall we say? Shall we continue in the sin? Now I'm in Young's literal. Shall we continue in the sin that the grace may abound? Let it not be. We who died to the sin. We who died. We did what? Who died to the sin? How shall we still live in it? Are you ignorant that we, as many as were baptized to Christ Jesus, to His death, were baptized? We were buried together then with Him through the baptism to the death that even as Christ was raised up out of the dead. This is what I love. Young's literal says, He was raised up out of the dead. Through the glory of the Father, so also we. So also we. In newness of life, my walk. My God. For if we become planted together to the likeness of death, so also we shall be of the rising again, or His resurrection. 
This knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin may be made useless. For our no longer serving the sin, for he who hath died hath been set free from sin. Very powerful. And having been raised up out of the dead, doth no more die death over him, hath no more lordship. For in that he died, to the sin he died once, and in that he liveth, he liveth to God. So also you. What Paul's writing is what Jesus did, he did for you. And not only for you, when you receive him, that's what you're thrust into. In other words, when I eat Him, He puts me in His death. I enter into His death. I am buried with Him in His burial. And I am made alive in His resurrection. My new life is His resurrection. That's my new life. His resurrection. When He was quickened from the dead, you were quickened. So His resurrection is my new life. That's not the same old man. See, that's what our minds have to get a hold of. What happened to you is not the same old man, just just not having sin, but now it's a new man created of God in Christ Jesus. How, how How did He do that? He came into man. He said it through His Word. I mean, I mean, it may take uh, eternity to gather up all this Word. So He said it in His Word. And whatever God said is. So He declared it by His Word. And He come and did it in the person of Jesus Christ. And then through the Holy Spirit, He brought you into it. He said it, He did it, and He brought you into it. That's your salvation. Your salvation is tied up in His work. When He died, you were made dead. Now read that. Do I know that? Do I comprehend that? Is that real to me? When He was buried, I I can't tell you. I I can't put in words. I I look at that house with the the, uh, Passover lamb. 
and Asher Pum. They took the lamb outside the house. You know, it's their house that they're living in there in uh, what was the little place outside right outside of Egypt? What was it called? Or part of Egypt? That the Israelites were in? You know, they were in Egypt, but they were in their own little... In Goshen. They were in Goshen. They had their houses. I just see this picture. They take this lamb out and they kill him. They're outside the house when they kill him. They take his blood and they put it up on the door. Round the door. And then they enter in to that. See that picture? I just see that in my heart. Oh, yes. They put the blood on the door. They enter into that. It's like a tomb. And they go in there and eat the lamb. And I just see Jesus saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. So they go into that house. They can't come out of Egypt. You know, God said He's going to bring them out, but He just doesn't come down to rescue them, does He? No, He rescues them through a lamb. So He brings a lamb, just like He starts there with Abraham. He brings a lamb into view. And they don't just put the blood on their house. They have to enter into the house. And they have to eat the lamb. They're not told just go put the blood on your house and uh, pass over, or the deaf angels just go pass over you, or the destroyer. They get told put the blood on the house and go in and eat that lamb. In other words, they enter into the death of that lamb and they eat it. They eat his flesh and type and shadow drink his blood. They didn't drink blood in the old covenant, but in type and shadow, they partake of him. And they're told not to come out to the light of the new day. If you can't hear the resurrection, if you can't hear the Lord speaking there, He's, he, he. You're talking about a poet. We talk about great poetry. You're talking about a poet. Our Lord is a poet. I look at this and I go, my God. They can't come out until the light of the new day. So the new day dawns. And when the new day dawns, the Lamb is gone. The lamb has to be roasted, has to be put away. All of it has to be consumed when the new day comes. So they come out in the light of a brand new day. And that's the light of the resurrection. I'm thinking that when they enter, when the high priest enters that third chamber. You know, when he starts the process, he starts at the brazen altar. If you studied your Bible, he starts out there at the brazen altar and he slays the lamb. So he starts with blood. And he makes his way into the house. And that, to me, he's just walking into the tomb. And he comes there into the most holy place one time a year without, and he can't enter in there without death. 
without blood. No light there. No light of the sun, nor light of the moon. You know what appears there? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God's light appears. Has no light of the sun. He has no light of the moon. He goes into the most holy place. And what appears there is the resurrection. His new life. See, Romans, we were singing it this morning. I read it. We are quickened, we are quickened by His glory. Christ was raised up out of the dead through the glory of the Father. So also we, in the likeness of newness of life, now, if you read Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2 says, verse 4, Ephesians 2, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, quickened us together, or made us alive together with Christ. When was Christ made alive? In the resurrection. Do you get this? You were made alive in His resurrection. You were quickened together with Him. By grace you have been saved, He goes on to say. So so His resurrection... Is my new life. Now you don't you, you, you don't believe that. Turn over to First Peter. I think Brother Peter says it about as plain as, as you can say it as far as writing it. But see, Brother Peter understood this. It wasn't just he was writing like the prophets. The prophets were writing something futuristic. Peter was writing out of the reality he was living in. So Peter says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How many believe Brother Peter was an apostle? I do. To the elect who are sojourners of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God. So it's according to God's foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit and to obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed or blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy beget us again. Read this. How did He beget you again? Unto a living hope or lively hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You are... Born again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Your new birth is His resurrection from the dead. Now that's not just the physical dead. That is the dead in Adam. Includes the physical dead. But if you study the dead, 
The de- Adam was the Adamic man was called dead when he was breathing oxygen. He was dead in trespasses and sin. So you are raised with him, quickened with him, raised with him, seated with him. That's your new birth. That's where you started. When you were born again, you started in his resurrection. That was your start. His resurrection. Till we comprehend Him, we don't even know our salvation. That's why Paul wrote that we must grow up into Him in all things because, because everything Jesus inherited is what you inherit. And see, see, see. This is where again, and I, and I, and I hate to beat things up, but I, but I may sound like it. This again is where Christianity has bound us. Not, not true Christianity. Don't get me wrong. Christianity will never bind you. But, but religion. I said the wrong words. Religion binds us because religion says, reads the next verse, and says, unto an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, of faith, not away, reserved in heaven for you. So I read that next verse, and in my mind, give me ten more minutes, in my mind, someday I'm going to have this. So I get born again by Jesus Christ, resurrection from the dead. And I'm born again for an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven. Now, now, what did we say earlier when we're talking about Nicodemus with heaven? Jesus was telling him the spiritual things were heavenly things. Go back and read your Bible. Who by the power of God are guarded through faith into salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, ye have been put to grief in manifold trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is proved by fire, may be found unto praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's where all of these things are made known. What is incorruptible? What you inherited, what is undefiled, what fadeth not away, what's reserved in heaven for you, it's made known to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where it's made known. Paul said, when it pleased God to separate him from his mother's womb to reveal his son in him. That's that's at the revelation. When Christ is revealed in you, all these things are made known. And it's an ongoing revealing. It's not a one time you get it off. It's an ongoing working relationship 
with you and God. See, we want, we want a relationship with God, but I want it my way. This ain't Burger King. You don't get it your way. You don't come and say, God, I want this my way. Because this was the foreknowledge of God before the foundation of the world. So God conceived this in His heart before the world was. So it is through relationship. We do have a relationship with God. But God wants to bring you into His relationship. And fellowship in His Son. Because that's where He's placed you. That's where He's placed you. So He wants to bring you there. You're, and, I, and I wanted to show you this morning, you're starting salvation is through His resurrection. Now, what's the purpose? The purpose isn't to sit around here for 30 years and say, I want to make heaven my home. The purpose is to grow up into Him in all things. That's what Paul called the purpose. Now I have to adjust my thinking to God's purpose. I have to allow the Spirit to bring me to think the way He does. See, we, we want God to think like we do. That's what we want. But see, that, that, that doesn't work. That won't, even, that won't even satisfy you. That's why you have so many unsatisfied Christians. Because their satisfaction they're looking at, looking for, is only found in the truth. So if I don't walk in truth, I'm not satisfied. I can go to church all day. 